and I had random strangers come to it and this and that. And then it got popular. But people started eating, chewing through my bandwidth. And it became very expensive to host. So then I said, you know what? There's this YouTube channel, this YouTube website. I'm going to use the bandwidth. So I'm going to upload one more mix on the website. And then I'm going to take it and embed it on my website so that people can stream it from my website. But it's actually running off YouTube servers. And then I did that, went to bed. The next morning, my inbox, my email inbox was full of messages. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? So I thought maybe YouTube had caught me and they were probably sending me cease and desist messages. But then it was people saying, I love this music. Who's this guy? I love this. What is this? And I'm like, what's going on? I don't know these people. And then I went to the YouTube channel and it had a thousand views. I was like, wow. Like all my mixes on my website, all together, they were maybe like, 600 and this one mix i've had for less than 24 hours had a thousand views so then i remembered so then i told myself so it seems that people listen to use uh youtube to listen to music given the fact that i I remembered my mom doing that i said you know what instead of having song after song the way other people are doing it i'm just gonna upload my mixes over there so then i started feeding the machine i mean i was uploading so many mixes like and my music, you know, my music, uh, it started taking off. And then one day, my older sister was pregnant. And, you know, I told her, oh, you know what? I'm going to make you, it, apparently they said that if you play classical music for babies, you know, they're going to grow, you know, that's actually, it was to my sisters. And I said, I'm just going to make a mix, a classical music mix. So that can you listen to it when you're at home? And then I uploaded it for my sister. And then I made it for, I made it public. And that thing just went nuts. It hit one million within like a month. And when people subscribed, they started to like, who's this guy? And then they started listening to my other, to my other, to my other mixes. And here's the funny part: a lot of people who listen to my YouTube channel, they don't even know what house music is. They just know that there's some music that they like. It makes the you know, they call it techno, they call it electro, they call it whatever. Or they know they call it deep and dope or just big music. So they started listening to my music, and then the channel just took off like wildfire, you know. And then of course. Everyone started uploading music on YouTube, and that's when somebody said, hang on a minute. Who's paying for this? And then that's when they started blocking and this and that. And by the time they started blocking mixes and all the DJs started getting on, and that's why now it's hard. I already had a lot of millions of views and my channel was established. Now, I like to downplay it and say it's because I got there first, but also the, you know, the internet is merciless. If people don't like your stuff, they're not going to come back. So people kept coming back. So... That's my very humble Canadian way of saying. Maybe it wasn't bad after all. No, it was but, a good story. It makes a good story. And actually, yeah. it was a winning formula. Yeah. Without realizing in the beginning that you were going to win like this. Yeah. Because it was, it was crazy. Like, I would upload my... I mean, it was just crazy. I was, I was getting to the... I, was, I had a point, at one point before the adverts and this and that, there was actually somebody at YouTube headquarters whose job was to deal with me and I could say whatever I wanted, you know, like... YouTube, you know, YouTube Canada used to like, I used to call there and say whatever I wanted. And then when they started with the copyrights, now I signed an email, nobody even replies to me. You know what I mean? Because even though I make the money, but they cannot endorse my content because it's based on copyrighted music. Even though, well, they made the ads from it. So, you know, they make, money. They they make, make money. money. That's the thing. They they make money. You can't, you can't get, because you get constant uh, copyright infringement yeah. uh, flags. And yeah. when that happens, you can't monetize it. Yeah. And here's the thing. One of the things that, um, like YouTube is, a, I mean, it's not to say that now nobody can do YouTube. You can, but it's a lot of try and error. And the best, and the secret to YouTube is actually to upload independent music. You know, stay away from anything from mainstream. Because the one thing I tell people is, right now I probably have 200, ch- uh, 200 mixes on YouTube. But in total, I think I've uploaded up to 800. So that means 600 have been blocked or, you know, deleted, wow. blacklisted, and this and that. So it's a matter of being relentless. And I found that that's what my saving, it's, I don't know if it's a good thing or it's my obsession, but I just, sometimes I upload a mix and then get rejected and I'm like, okay, instead of editing out, I just go record another mix. And then I put the other ones on Mixlab. Because for me, making music mixes, it's a way of therapy. You know, it's, I just record music and then I'm like, oh, I'm done. I recorded it. Let me upload it. And again, here's something else that's a little bit weird. When I sit 
at my home, like wherever I am, and I said, I'm going to record a mix to upload on YouTube. And I upload it. It gets some views. You know, it's, yeah, okay, it gets some views, nothing crazy. But when I was having a jump session, just me and myself and I, and happened to me to record and upload it, then the mixes goes nuts. And to this day, I have, you know, I mean, maybe it's because it's coming from within as opposed to me trying to please the crowd. But mm-hmm. I found that the mixes that, that's why some of the mixes are the best. They're the ones that are not properly, you know, the, the mixing is off or, you know, I'm, I'm, it, seems, it seems that I'm clowning, I'm clowning around because I was at home just no big series. But those are the mixes that do very well. And I think it's something, maybe something within that just went all out there. Or maybe I'm full of crap, I don't know. But with, with uh, 600 mixes, like I've pretty much figured out some patterns that when I sit down and I say, I'm going to make a mix for YouTube, it never really works out fine. So that's why I stopped making mixes for music, uh, for YouTube. Now I mix, I just jam for myself and then share with YouTube. So do you see yourself as a musical DJ or virtual curator? Well, I'm a DJ who happens to share the music on YouTube. Because at the end of the day, it's YouTube is just where I archive, you know, where I just almost... It's almost like an archive of what I've recorded. Like um, some of the mixes, also the live, you know, I mean, the, live, the mixes are recorded from, from nightclubs and I just recorded the set and I uploaded it. And so, yeah, so I'm a DJ. It's just that, it's just that YouTube is my business card. That's, what I, that's how I like to put it. Because this is the thing that people are not sure about. They know that you go out and play. Like you've been, you've yeah. been touring now, you know, yeah. you're back. Um, but they know you more because of you being a content provider. Yeah. Well, I know sometimes people say, hey, you're that YouTube DJ. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm yeah, not yeah, DJ. Hey, you're the YouTube yeah. DJ. Wait yeah. a minute. Oh, no, wait, wait. I'm not the YouTube yeah, yeah. DJ. <laughs> like, like I'll never forget one time I was, I don't know, I went to New York City and I was in Times Square. And you know, this, like Times Square is full of, I don't want to say characters because that's rude, but it's full of interesting, very like, people can be a little bit eccentric. Oh. You know what I mean? And one of them goes, oh my gosh, it's him, it's you, you're from YouTube. I forgot your name. You're that guy with the mixes. And started yelling, all of Times Square turned around, looked at him, looked at me. And I was like, and then I went to the back streets and then I'm like, okay, it looks a little bit sketchy. And then I went to the Eminem store and I hid there for like half an hour. <laughs> and then I eventually walked back and I'm like, wow, this is crazy. Like the YouTube channel, I sometimes I'll go into like, I'll be hanging out in some weird parts of Toronto. And then someone comes and say, hey, you that guy from YouTube. I'm like, I'm actually a DJ, but, and they're like, what are you doing here? They're like, oh, I'm here for a gig. So you're actually a DJ. I'm like, yes, I'm DJ. I'm not just, and because people imagine me as this being this, this teenager, who's at his parents' home in his basement just making music and uploading them, uploading them on YouTube. And I'm like, no, I'm actually a DJ. And what you're hearing is the recordings of my work that I just decided to share with the world. <laughs> you do actually have that paparazzi thing going on then. I if- mean, it's, it's, it's not like it happens to me every day, but it, it hap- when it happens, it's always, it always catches me off guard. Because the problem too is that in my lifetime, I've met a lot of people as a traveler, somebody who's, who's lived abroad. And sometimes, well, so when people stops me, stops me, I'm like, who, who's this person? So my, my mind is trying to figure out who's this person because I don't recognize them. And then I realize, oh no, they know me from my YouTube channel. Or sometimes I'll be hanging out with my friends and somebody will come and say, I don't want to interrupt you, but I just want to say, you know, I listen to your music and this and that. So then I look at my friends thinking they're probably playing a prank on me and it's another friend of theirs. No, okay, thank you very much. I'm like, yes, 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 I know, I know. And then the person goes. And then I'm like, so do you know him? And everyone's like, no, it's your friend. I'm like, no, I don't know him. No, you know him. I don't know him. Like, and then I'm like, oh my gosh, it's somebody who was just showing appreciation for my music. But it's, you know, but then it goes to one day I sat down and I thought about it. I'm like, if there are like close to 200 million people, you know, not like some people, some of it is repetitive, but if it's, over, let's say, 200 million people who've listened to my mixes, I'm bound to bump into some of them in real life. You know, mm-hmm. so, and usually when I wear this, uh, the hoodie, 
Because they look at my face and then look at it, they're like, I knew it. Deep and up. Some, some of them don't remember my name. They just go, deep and up. Yeah, because they, cause they, cause this they remember the, the, the two yeah. words. They remember it right away. Yeah. They're like, deep and up. And, I'm, and they're like, uh, actually, my name is. And, and then I'll, I'll use my legal name. I say, actually, my name is Jean. I'm like, no, that's not, that, that's not it. You're Jabig. I'm like, yeah, Jabig is my DJ name. But it, I can't just go introducing myself as an artist's name. I found that to be a little bit corny. So I just know my name is Jean. And I'm from Montreal, this and that. And like, I just, I love your music and this and that. And, and then there's a funny story. There's one story I like to say, and do children listen to, your, to this? No, no, this is an adult show. All right, okay. So I was in, I was in, how can I say with that? Okay, so I was somewhere in one city and I was DJing and then I finished my set. And then, you know, you, a, a bunch of DJs had come to hear me play and we were out there hanging out in the DJ booth and this and that. You know, you know, after they said, like, the briefing, talking, this and that. And then somebody came from the dance floor. So it was a woman that came all the way from the dance floor. She came running, like, and she's yelling, Jabig! And I'm like, okay. And, and she goes, comes all the way to the DJ booth. Like, there were, like, seven of us or something. And this is a true story because... Some of the people who were there, they'll remember this. And she goes, I just want to tell you, I effed your music. I'm like, and I'm like, okay. Because for, like, I don't even use that sort of language. So I was a little bit taken aback. And then I'm like, okay. And then I'm a little bit embarrassed because she's, she was very, she, she said it very loud. Because you know, when the music stops, people, you know, you, you, your ears are usually a little bit, you know, so then you tend to be louder. Or maybe she was just a little bit louder than, you know, than everyone else. And then you could see all the DJs just like, oh, everyone just froze. Like seven men were all just like froze. And then she goes, my lovers know if we're effing, Jabi's going to have to be playing. And I was like, oh, yes. The shagging moments with good music. Oh, my and God. And then I was like, then I was like, how do you even reply to that? And then I said, Oh, you know, and then, you know, like, don't ask me. I didn't know what to say. So I just said, uh, thank you for listening to my music. And, and actually I said, no, thank you for choosing my music. And I was like. <laughs> but then my DJ, and then my DJ friends were like, does this happen to you often? I'm like, it's always something that, it's always something that catches me off guard. It's always something that catches me off guard. You know, First and it's all, I want to ask you a question. Was the woman beautiful that came running in the booth? You know, I think everyone is beautiful. Let's be realistic. We, we, in other words, would you date this type of person? Um, well, it's I. I don't to like. I, I guess that's one of those principles of mine. I don't mix business. Not asking. No, no, I'm asking. No, no. <laughs> I'm taking from a looking perspective. Like, first of all, if it no, was like. Honestly, like, okay, let me, okay, I know what you're asking and I was trying to be evasive because I don't know if my mother is listening to this. Oh, okay, you know? mom. You know? Asking but, special questions, mom. I know yeah. you're watching. <laughs> but, but let me put it this way. Uh, somebody with such confidence to come and say this, in front, to be this, like, expressive in a, in a, you know, in a nightclub and, you know, she doesn't care. That's a woman who's going to make the men out of me. And sometimes you have to know that some people are just too much to handle and she would have taken me to school. You know, in some of those, if, if, I mean, I'm saying if, I mean, it's a little bit presumptuous to say that she said, she told me that she made me, loved my music. She didn't say she was into me, but you know, hypothetically, even she said that she was into me, you know, I would have said, listen, I'm going to need to notify Nest of Kim because I don't think I'm making, you know, making a lot of her life. You know what I mean? <laughs> but it's, you know, it's, I mean, that's all crazy story. I don't want, like Canadian, and we live in a very polite I don't want people this getting out of control. Everyone, <laughs> everyone, let me explain. Let me clarify. There's an amber alert going out to everyone out there. There's a yellow light kicking in. That red, yellow meaning warning. <laughs> We've all been in experiences <laughs> where where alcohol and drugs are part of what's going on on the dance floor, and. Even in my sets, I will say this, you have people come in the booth screaming at you, telling you things, and you just, like he said, you're, you're, you're taking off balance. You're basically off balance. If you're not ready for it, it is a moment where you're like, whoa. 
And then you have a whole bunch of people with you that's your audience watching the next move you're going to make. Yeah. Don't want to embarrass yourself. It's a hard. That's what makes me nervous because all the guys. Froze. You're worried about what's going to be said later, not what's going to happen yeah. now, right? You're worried. It's like. Because everyone looked at her and then they were like, oh, she said her piece. Jabeg, what, what are you going to do? What are you going like, to say? Now what? And then, you know, that was almost me. I just said, oh, thank you for choosing my music to listen to. And then she, and then she's like, you know, she said, thank you very much for the set. And then she went off, you know, she, she, like, she, she, she left because they were shutting down the club. And the DJs were like, did we just hear what happened and this and that? And, then, and they were like, does this happen often? I'm like, like I said, it doesn't happen <laughs> often. It just catches me off guard. And it's always like that. It's something that catches me off guard, you know? I mean, and then of course, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, I was in New York City playing. And because this is the crazy part. I mean, you'll understand how do I say this without saying it. Like some of the people who come to my club are a little bit on the older side. And I was going to say, when back when, when you were DJing, it's because they were your age. But then I said, hang on a minute. That's implying something. But anyway, some of the people, <laughs> some of the people who let's come. Just say, let's just say some of the people come in a middle-aged. Yes, the, the middle age. And one time I see like like a couple. They're like somebody's, and I'm like, oh, they're probably somebody's, because I was playing at the W Hotel. And, I'm, and I was like, oh, it's probably some people's grandparents who happen to be at the hotel, they're checking in. And they come to me like, oh, actually, no, we came here to you play Jabig. And I'm like, oh my gosh, these are people's grandparents. And because that's what happens, you know, some of the kids who are listening, who are discovering the music now, they bring their parents because their parents used to go out. Or some of the parents that used to go out, they bring the kids. You know, it's, so my, my my nights are always weird. It's always like early, like from early twenties until like mid twenties, and then it picks up again after thirty five. You know what I mean? And onwards. And then they were, you know, they said, "Hey, we came to you, we play, and you know, we're like in our seventies, like back in the, you know, we used to go out in our young days, and your music reminds you, you know, it reminds us of those eras, and that's why I came here to play. Actually, my sister, and then the, it was the um, the, the 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 man said my sister was actually to be was supposed to be come with us, but she passed away. But she had said, "Oh, the best way to you know to pay her an homage is to come dance because we're supposed to be here to dance." So we came here to dance. We just want you to know that that you know my sister would have loved to be here because we're big fans. She was you know we all th- all three of us were are big fans of you. And you're like, and sometimes, you know, and things like that. You know, I was in a club DJing. You know, like you're out there partying and somebody throws something like that at you. And you're supposed to stay professional and not break down and just keep on playing, you know. And then you realize, this is crazy. I literally wanted to use YouTube's bandwidth because I didn't want to pay mine. And this thing has just gone, it's going to take somewhere else. I can't even take it anymore. I'm like, this is just crazy. You know, the power of music. Yeah, I told you, it's a healer. It's crazy, but it does. It, 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 it's insane. And then the last story I'm going to tell you, this is a funny one too. It's, uh, so I had one mix. Um, I had one mix that I played and then I literally got two, two emails, you know, let's say the same day. One from was from, uh, was from a lady in New York City who said, oh, I just want to let you know there was a, you know, my, my niece had a cotillion and then we played one of the mixes and it went down very well. And I was like, a cotillion? I had no idea what the heck that was. And then I had to go Google, Google it. And it turns out it's like a, you know, it's like a whole debutante, this whole thing. It's apparently a thing that push people do somewhere in America. You know, I mean, I don't know what it is. It's, it's, it's an American thing. I've never heard of Can it. Can I be honest with you? The only cotillion I know was the, the offset of Atlantic Records cotillion records. I didn't even know what the hell cotillion. I was like, cotillion? Yeah, I mean, all of you, if you don't know what that is, just Google it, because I don't know how to describe, to describe Everybody it. Everybody, you know Google Cotillion, because we yeah. need to find out and let us know what it is. Go I ahead. don't even know. I don't even know if that's how you pronounce it, because I remember reading it, so I don't remember. You're right. I, no, it's Cotillion, C-O-T-I-L-L-I-O-N. I know how you, yeah. you said it correct. Yes. So from what I understand, it's like something where these young humans, they're getting, to, you know, when they're 14 or 15 or 16, you know, they, you know, it's like high society. They're trying to, you know, it's... This whole thing that you saw in like the in those like like when Mozart was alive era, where everyone is trying to be like you know, hey, Madame, voulez-vous danser and all all those things. So so then I understood it. You know, for me it was like okay, it's, okay, it's some kids' party. 
that's good. And then the next email was some guy from Amsterdam telling me, hey, Jabeg, just so that you know, I'm some promoter. I promote sex parties. And whenever we have our parties, your music plays. And you just play. So just to let you know, next time you know Amsterdam, let me know. I'll give you a pass. You can even come with your friend. You can come first. And then you can, everything is on, you know, it's, and you know, I'll just introduce you all the, all the women. A lot of you can just come and there and go crazy. And I was like, now I'm thinking, this guy is, again, it's somebody playing a prank on me. But he had a link to his, you know, way back when people, when people used to have like websites. So I clicked on the website and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, this is, it's true. But the, the reason I'm telling this story, it was crazy because it was this, this, these two people had written about one mix. So it showed me, it's so crazy how people use the same piece of, like, you know, one, the same mix for different things. And I was taken aback, I'm like, just music is just, you know, all I know is that I put my music out there, what it becomes, it's outside my control, you know? And so it, it doesn't actually, mean it's good. Do you actually pre-plan out these mixes or you just do them? Ah, just do them. I'll, I'll go, for instance, on, you know, I'll, for instance, I'll go like, um, I'll, like, let's say, for instance, if I'm sitting at home and I look at my record boxes, I'm like, oh, I haven't listened to these records in a while. And then I'm like, okay, let me just have a quick session. And usually the first record is going to, the, the first record, the, the record I play first, it's the one that's going to determine the rest of the set. Or if there's one song I really want to play, then I'll build it around that set. I'm like, okay, I want to make this record the, the one in the middle. So then I'll start from the, you know, the beginning and then towards the end. But most of the times my, my records, I mean, my, my mixes are not planned because then it becomes planned and it's not as fun. So it's because the, the fun of it, some of the fun of it is having, you know, the CDJ blinking, like it's about to run out, and you are there thinking, what the heck am I gonna play? It's part of the you know adrenaline rush, and then you find something, and then within like twenty seconds you've matched, you know, you've managed to bit match it, and then you play it, and then it's you know it rolls in like you know it's like it's matched beautifully, and it's perfect. But the problem is that sometimes my mixers have a lot of mistakes, and and sometimes when they have too many mistakes, I would just take it down. But then someone, one commenter, one of the YouTube commenters, some people, some DJs were making fun of my mixer saying, ah, oh, look, he trend wrecked. And then somebody wrote, wrote, well, at least we know he's mixing live and he's not using auto-sync. Good and for I was you. Like, and Good. I was like, hmm, all right. So now it turns out we have to put, um, we have to put mistakes in our mixes to show that they're real. Or sometimes I'll be mixing and People say, what? That mix that mix ended pretty abruptly. Well, that's because I was mixing and then I want to do something and then I forgot that I was mixing. And the mix the mix ended just there. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so but I don't plan my mixes. I really don't. I mean I'll plan maybe the most I'll plan is which songs I'm gonna play, but and then I just intro, you know, improvise. The only time I would plan is if I have to do like uh for instance, if I have to do like an album, you know. And this is one of the things I actually miss is that I just, after, um, uh, I became like a household name before when the CD era was over, because in my lifetime, I would have loved to release a mixed CD compilation, you know, you know, like the Ministry of Sound used to do them, Head Candy used to do them and this and that. I would have loved to do that, but, you know, nowadays, um, do you even have a, no, you have a CD player, but most people don't even have, the only place where people have CD players now is in their cars. Right. The general, the commercial market doesn't even have it anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So do you think there's a, do you really believe coming from the beginning of the YouTube uh, era and basically falling into the lucky part that you were there first, as you say, does someone who's starting out have the same chance of achieving what you were able to achieve? Yes, they do. They do. But they have to go about it a different way. You know what I mean? Like, for instance, because nowadays there are a few problems. Is now everyone is putting their mixes on YouTube, so it's already just you know too much, too many mixes. And then number two, you have to deal with copyrights. And then also the person, the, I mean, the third strike is that the person putting the mixes out there probably they're not known. Like, if a big name puts the mixes on YouTube. People know the, the you know people know the person is a household name, so people are not are going to gradually gravitate towards that. 
you know? Whereas if you are known, well, nobody knows who you are, but now also YouTube is blocking your mixes because if you are known, you have to play music that people know at first. And then once they know you, you can do whatever you want. But then I found that now these people have been a little bit creative. For instance, there's this guy in London, or in the UK, I don't know where exactly. He has like a whole DJ setup, like a portable DJ setup, and then he goes in the streets having some jams, you know? And then he has like, he has, you know, he's like, a, the, the, you know, the, so there's a lot of people following him, and then people, you know, and then he records that, and then he puts it, he uploads it. And then there's this guy, he does like, for instance, some old school, I actually don't even know how the hell he gets away the copyright law, with the copyrights. He actually plays vinyl of like classics, like of the disco classics, you know, the 70s and 80s. And I mean, I don't know how he managed to get away with, with it. And also there's like, for instance, now, if you add like some instruments or if you're doing something, a set and you record it from like somewhere really beautiful, it's not, it's not too late. It's not impossible, but it's much harder. But because it's much harder, actually is the reason why everyone should be doing it because people come and say, ah, no, not for me. And then, so then, so naturally it limits competition, you know? So it's not too late, but it's not, the only difference between when I started and now, it's like now it's a little bit harder. That's all. But if the person was not scared of hard work, it's going to be fine. So the person has to find records that are pretty much like underground that are not yeah. mainstream style records. Yeah. I mean, right now I get, I mean, of, of course, that's the biggest irony of, of life. You know, I get sent a lot of promos from people who are starting out. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, some of it, I mean, I'm not saying it's garbage or not, because it's not up to me to say, but it's not what I like. Because I don't think music is good or bad. I just see music as in I like, I don't like, you know? I mean, again, that's how I'm going to put it in a very Canadian way. So sometimes people send me stuff and I'm like, mm -hmm, and I don't like it. But sometimes I think, like, for instance, because that's all my, one of my, because I think I have a big enough name that I could, if I had the funds, I would actually become a label and commission people to make music just for me. And then I'll play it on YouTube. And then I would monetize by myself and then buy more music and then pay everybody and this and that. So if you really want to start music, go to something very obscure. And literally, as a house music DJ, it's not difficult. Go on YouTube, I'm sorry, track source and buy music from there. Just stay away from defected because those guys <laughs> will, they will block your music like there's no tomorrow, you know? Like all the big house labels, they'll block your mixes there's, like there's no tomorrow. But that's a good thing because it focuses, it teaches, it, it forces you to dig and to go look for the non-obvious. And that's how you stand out is by not playing the non-obvious music, you know? I mean, if you go on track source and it's always the same names in the top 10, it's always the same names. It's the same names, different song, you know? It's, and that becomes a little bit, okay, it's, it's not really making things go forward. The way I buy my music from track source is I go from recent release, everything. And I don't even care about the genre. And I listen to everything. And I pick right. and choose. And I pick and choose. Because it reminds me from the, it reminds me of the record days where things were not categorized. You just went and you listened. Because sometimes, for instance, uh, you'll see a song that says, you know, uh, a category that says, oh, broken beat. But then you listen to the song and you actually listen to a very dope, deep house track. It's just because the main track is broken beats, but then everything else is not. So... The only, I found that the only way to judge music is with your own ears and forget the labels and this and, and the genres and the artists is, is, is with your own ears. So if you want to make it on YouTube, you can actually make it if you play very, very, very like obscure music before it hits. But then the bastards, the problem with these bastards is that sometimes, sometimes the music becomes famous. Then they go on YouTube and they block everybody who has them, who have the music there, you know, in their mixes. And um, and some of and they forget that it's partially because of content creators that your music made it this far, and now you're blocking them because you only want to have everyone coming to your channel to listen to that specific piece of song, which is a little bit it's not nice, but I understand people have to survive their own way. It's business, but it's not cool. Here's another question that I bet a few people, a lot of people, are asking. Have you now stepped out of the DJ and working to production now? That's your big the producer now. Well, that's 
It's an answer. I have to answer it. Okay, I'm just going to answer it for me. So what I say for me doesn't mean that I'm attacking anybody out there. So please, I know I ride the bicycle. Don't drive me. You know, don't, don't come and like hit me with your car because you don't agree. I'm just saying it for me. You know, I'm just saying my perspective. I don't play an instrument. I have no business making music. Simple as that. I know nowadays you can have software or I can go hire people can make music for me. I can just whistle something and then you can write something or can work with, or I can, I can have people in the studio and this and that and can do their own thing. You know, and that's not for me. You know, that's not for me. Just as eating white chocolate is not for me. That's not for me. You know, for me, I believe that if I'm creating music, it should come from my own mind and my own hands and should be doing it. But I, I don't know how to play an instrument. So I've had some stuff done with people where I contributed my ideas. But at the end of the day, well, the way it came out is not the way it was in my head because I cannot bring what's in my head into real life. And until the day I'm able to do that, I'm just going to stick to being a DJ. Okay, that was the, the truth. Now, the diplomatic answer is that I'm too busy being an adventurer to find time to sit down in a studio and make music. So I'm too busy. That's the, usually the version I give to everyone who wants to know. But the, the truth is that I don't, I don't what, know. What, what do you mean, venture? What are you, climbing rocks? What are you, on cliffs? What are you, skydiving all day? What, what, what do you mean, adventure? What kind well, of adventure? I, I ride bikes. Like, when I rent rather, of course. Explain that. Nobody's heard this yet. What does that mean, I ride a bike? What, your, your definition. Of, I know what it means. I go to the store. I bring my bike. I tie it up. I go home. My day's over. You don't ride bike like that. You ride bike for, like, months. Yeah, so I do the same thing that you do. It's just that I do it over long distances and over a longer period. So basically what I do is, um, again, everything has to be a story. How much time do you have? We'll tell you when the time is up. All right. Okay, excellent. I like that. Uh, so as a DJ, you know, so I ride bikes. You know, I'm a, when I say adventure, I like to embark on rides and just, you know, for escapism because... I don't know. I just been like being on a bicycle, but it also turns out that it's something that I'm good at without being good at it, without knowing. I'm just naturally good at it, meaning I can barely fix a flat tire. I mean, barely. I think I've done it once, and it was it wasn't even for me. It was from some random person on the side of the street, you know. And I couldn't believe it that I managed to do it. You know, I was trying to be a gentleman, and that day it worked. So I ride bikes for escapism and for adventure because I found that it's one fun way to see the world. And so my claim to fame in the cycling world is that I rode across Canada in winter on a fixed gear bike. Um, I'll let you Google what a fixed gear bike is versus a normal bike. But I think what freaked people out and me the most is that I did it in winter. And I'm talking about Canadian winters in the mightiest, you know, like we're talking about Minus 40, because I know that minus 40 is Celsius and Fahrenheit. That's when the only time they meet. It's minus 40. I've done it at minus 40. Meaning, minus 40 were the extremes, but I've ridden my bike. I rode it from the Atlantic Ocean all the way to the Pacific and then all the way to the Arctic Ocean. It took me 15 months. So that's why. So to answer the previous question, I don't produce because I was too busy riding across Canada. So, But also it's because um, I found that when I was nearing my 40s, it was those, you know, because as we, as the house, as we, as time go by, the house music scene is shrinking. So to make a full-time living, being a house music DJ, and I mean, and, and keeping it real, it's harder and harder. It's actually, I mean, I actually don't know, except for the big-time DJs or the classic DJs, the big ones, you know, and I don't, I don't want to name them because. The problem of naming names that you forget other names and then you offend people. So you don't say the big, you know, the people were there from the the beginning. They still, even them, they still have. Just, I mean, the fact that they still have to work hard to get to stay on top. I mean, means that for me, it's just complicated. But also, I knew if I'd gotten and become a producer, I could have gotten far in my DJ career because it's it seems like you can't be a DJ if you're not a producer. To make it, if you cannot be, a, you know, an established, it's I don't. I never understand why people ask me, "Oh, you're a DJ. What do you produce?" I'm like, "I'm a DJ. I'm not a producer." But it, to be, you know, 
you cannot be a famous DJ or you cannot go find your DJ live if you're not a producer because it's your music that does the advertising for you, you know? Or you can just own your club or own a radio station, you know? But again, these are not, I don't like my face and I don't like my voice. So I've no idea, you know, that's why I do mixes. I don't do so when but so it's I'm gonna I'm gonna talk from the people watching this. When you're cycling, are you cycling just for you or is there an intrinsic part to it? Are you raising money? Are you do you have a camera crew with you following you across this trek? You know, um filming you through the whole thing? Is it going to a television show or is it any of that kind of stuff going on with the bicycle stuff that you're doing? All right, okay. Yeah. So I ride bikes for fun, and I ride like bikes. I ride bike for adventures. But then one time I realized that it was capturing a lot of attention to the, you know, to because actually I have two different of fan bases. There are people who are fans of my adventures. They don't even know that I'm a DJ. Oh, you DJ? Oh, my little cousin's a DJ. And they're like, no, I'm actually a full time DJ. They're like, oh, wow, okay. My so, sister and my mother and my aunt are DJs. Yeah, exactly. They all play the sync button. It's to you too. Yeah. And then some of some of people in my in the music world don't even know that I ride bikes. So what I do is I ride bikes. Uh in nineteen in 2016, I started to ride across Canada and I rode across Canada because I just needed to clear my mind. You know, some people walk around the block. I ride across Canada. I had bigger issues. Can I stop? And, can I stop you for a second? Yes. Did everybody remember watching um, what's his name? Uh, Jim Carrey, Forrest Gump, when he just jumped on the bike and rode across uh, America. It wasn't uh, Jim. It wasn't Jim Carrey. It was um, something Hanks. Oh, Tom Hanks. I'm sorry. Yeah, Tom me. Hanks. Yeah. Um, did when Tom Hanks just jumped on and he rode yes. and he rode. Yeah. And he is that what we? This is where it's going, like that, like yeah. People, yeah, people, like that was the nickname. Like what you know, what you know, you now you're the African Tom, you're the African, you're the African first, first Gump. And I said no, I just listen, I just because I was getting to a stage where I needed to make a decision. As in, do I stay? Do I become? Do I keep on being a DJ, or do I give it up because it's not, you know, deep house and the house music is not paying my bills as much as I want anymore. So either I can also compromise and start playing wedding and cheese, you know, because. I have a big enough name that if I played corporate events and wedding, wedding, weddings, I'd make a killing. You know, I could charge a lot of money just because of my name. But then the problem that music churns my soul and I can't do it. So I was at that stage. So I'm like, you know what? I need that sabbatical. I've been a DJ for maybe 20 years and I need to take a break. So then I went to ride across Canada and I did it for me to think about life and everything. That's why, you know, it was fun because it was, I was out there by myself. Nobody had any expectations for me. But then I said, I kind of like that. So then I kept writing more and more. But this time I said, you know what? I should write for a cause. And that's when um, I did some research and found a charity called World Bicycle Relief. And basically what they do is they provide uh, bicycles to children in Africa, especially, you know, uh, young women, so that they can just go to school. Because the reason sometimes some kids don't go to school is just because school is far. And... You know, some of them would wake up at four o'clock in the morning to make it to school, and then they can't even study because they passed out on the desk. They're tired, you know. So the World Bicycle Relief basically pretty much gives them bicycle because, I mean, most of you who ride bikes, you know that the difference between cycling and and uh, riding is, you know, it's it, you know, you you faster by bicycle. So then I decided to raise money for them. Why that charity? Is that because of it being that there's no infrastructure in some of these towns in Africa? Like, for example, there's no mass transit or busing to get these kids. Is that the reason? Because yeah. people don't understand that in the Northern Hemisphere. They don't, I, get, they don't get it. They don't, they don't really know what's going on there. They just think, well, everybody goes to school. Yes, you can go to school. It's how do you get? The schools are 8, 9, 10 miles away, 12 miles away, right? They're yeah. far from these schools. Actually, that's a good question because I grew up in Africa, so I'm, I'm aware of what it is. But then I realized that some people don't know what it is. So sometimes school there aren't enough. There aren't. It's not like here in North America we have a school on every single block. Sometimes school is just one school for maybe a whole, like you know, a bunch of villages. But the school is far. Or some people live in rural areas. They have to go to the cities to the school. And 
it's a question of transportation. You know, not everyone has cars, and some of the, these places where they, these kids live, they don't have like proper roads that where cars can go, and there are no buses. There's no mass transit, so the only way to get around is to walk. But walking, you're young, you can't get there. So then some of the, some then some of the parents say, say, oh, well, they're not gonna get an education, and you know, especially for women, then it limits your opportunities. And so this whole basic relief said, okay, we're going to provide bicycles to children so they can get to school. And it's just crazy because, you know, once they get to school, they perform better and this and that. And, you know, and they grow up with a kid. You know, it's funny because these bikes, the bikes that they have, the tanks, I've seen one, the tanks, and some of these kids grew up, grew up with them until they finish school. And then, and, and so, and, and I said to myself, I mean, I ride very nice bikes. And nice, it's a very politically correct way of saying very expensive bikes. Just for my own enjoyment. And out there, it's a bike that's out there to save lives because economic empowerment is saving lives. Simple as that, you know. And I ride bikes, and I come, and I'm grateful. I know that compared to millions of kids in Africa, as an African, my life was of privilege because privilege is relative. But mine was pretty much better than, you know. The reason why I'm standing, I'm, I'm talking to you right now. It's just because I come from a family of parents who are educated, simple as that. It's not because I'm better than anybody. It's just because I was born into a life of privilege. And I see it as my duty to give back and to give, and my way to give back is to provide that same opportunity to others so they can get to school. And then what you make yourself as an adult, that's up to you. But at least you got that chance to, you know, to get to school and get the fundamentals. And so, and of course it was riding bikes and, if my audience is comprised of people who ride bikes, they're going to understand the cause better. Because, you know, if you tell somebody, we ride bikes for fun, but for some, for some, it's a survival tool, then you are more prone to donate to the charity. And so I started, you know, I started, you know, raising funds for them. And so that people know all the money that, that's uh, raised, I don't even touch it. It's on the platform. My job is just to tell people, hey, just go there and make a donation. So it never ends up in my pocket. And also they're very high, highly rated. You know that some charities are there. You like you give a lot of money, but then you see that the CEO is driving a Mercedes-Benz and this and that, and they're doing well. Now for them, they manage. I mean, one of the things I like is that, for instance, they don't have that big offices. They work in, you know, they work remotely. You know, they work at home. So that's why I went for some of them when the pandemic hit. It was business as usual because they work from home anyway. And they manage, you know, they're very good uh, stewards of the money. And I like the what they do, but I also like that they don't have this colonialism approach to it, which is, hey, hey, here we come to save Africa. Let's just throw bikes over there. And then all of you bow down to us. What they do, they actually do something that's very efficient. They, they send the parts, the, you know, the back components, because a bicycle is a, sum, is a sum of many parts. They send them to specific places in Africa. And then there, you know, there are people whose jobs, so they create jobs by having people, they become mechanics, they put them together and this and that. And because once, so, so that when the kid, when when the bicycles are worn, the kids can take, can take them to the back shops and they get repaired. Because that's a problem sometimes when people send, donate bikes. Well, you send, you, you, you send a, you send a bike there, but then there are no parts. So if they will, if they will, like for instance, cracks, well, that bike is no good. Then it's just become a dumping ground for your bike. So then they create a whole economy around it, which makes it almost sustainable. There are mechanics, there are this and that. And that's what I liked about the whole approach. You know, it's just giving a chance to people to empower themselves. And for me, so when I'm riding, I can just ride for me. But then if people are like, oh my gosh, what is this guy doing? Why, what are you doing it for? I'm like, oh, just donate to World Bicycle Relief. And, and then for me, it's my way of giving back, feeling good about, you know, um, because as a Christian, it's also something that's very fundamental to me to give back, you know, and also I think as a human being, it's, you know, when we have a platform and a voice, it's our responsibility to put it to good use, you know, because I can sit here and talk about me, 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 me all day, but every now and then we can talk about some things for that are others, you know, for others to make the world a better place. Because at the end of the day, if anything that this pandemic has taught us, if we're learning is that we're not okay until everyone is okay. And, and I want to make sure that all of us are okay. And in this day and age, we should be having no world hunger with all the money in this world. We've talked about this with all of us constantly. Yeah, I mean, 
this stage of our lives. There should be no world hunger. Everyone should be okay, you know, in the health system and everyone should be healthy to a certain extent, of course, genetics and all that play a, a major role. But we shouldn't be having poverty, which is taking away the chance of having quality of life. And I yeah. appreciate that you're doing all these wonderful things for the yeah. quality of, of life. Yeah, I have opinions on that and I can go on and on and this will become I mean, we, we, we watch know? TV, you watch CNN, MSNBC, yeah. BBC, ABC. Yeah, but... And you, you just sit there and you go, at this stage, in this century, with all the money running around, there should be none of this anymore, but... Well, I tell people, stop sending money to Africa, stop, you know, doing things to Africa. If you just stopped... If you just told, I told people, if you just told your government to stop destabilizing African regimes, or and if they practice fair trade, that alone would actually not that alone. That would make would change the world. It doesn't make sense that gold is sent back, is sold. It, like, let's say people who live in, like for instance, in the Congo, they have to buy gold that was important from Europe but it was extracted from their land. And millions of people die in doing that because there's, the, the trade is not fair. If the trade was fair, then African countries would be some of the wealthiest. I mean, they are, but they're not the one benefiting from the wealth. So if the West and some Asian countries stopped exploit, that exploitation and made the trades fair, that alone, that alone would eliminate world hunger because there's enough food, there are enough resources for everybody, it's just that it's the few are hogging them. But I don't want to be called a communist. And like I said, I ride a bicycle. That's a problem. Socialist, communist, capitalist. Yeah. And I ride a bicycle. You know, when you ride a bicycle, you have to be mindful of your strong comments because people can say, oh, that guy in black, that's the one who said something, who was talking crap on YouTube. Let me just run him over quickly. Yeah, so, you know. So I have fun. to be mindful. I have to be mindful of, of, of my you know, of my, some of my stances when well, the, the last, I'm going to give you one more final, one or two final questions here. Do, do you actually realize the inspiration you're setting out to the younger generation because of all your YouTube videos and everything you're becoming like the Arnold Schwarzenegger of dance music in a sense, you know, you know, the Terminator in a, in a good way. You know, you're doing something. Kids are watching this and saying, "I could be like Jabig. I could be rich and famous." Because they yeah. don't, know, they don't know how Hollywood you are or not. Yeah. Or they don't know that you're not like MC Hammer sitting in his big house, his mansion, and they just they they just see this. Yo, he's he's got millions and gazillions of yeah. followers. And yeah, I mean, I'm a I'm a very rich man because I'm healthy and have my freedom. For me, that's wealth. Now, to, to some of people who come up to me and say, hey, can you lend me 50,000 50, euros? I'm flattered that you think that my bank account has even seen such numbers. But, you know, I'm flattered, but, you know, wrong person, you know what I mean? But for, you know, but the whole thing about inspiring the next generation, that is, it's, it's a byproduct of what I do, but I don't want to take responsibility for that because I'm human, I have my own flaws. So, I don't, you know, just pick the good and forget about the bad. But don't worry, I'm very good at hiding the bad. The bad, so you you're not very likely to find it. <laughs> I just want to say thank you so much. I mean, you are an inspiration. Thank you for having me. I even think more than a DJ. I mean, it's super cool that you play on the YouTube channel and you do the virtual stuff and DJ. I'm really impressed with the bicycling. That's amazing. Oh, thank you. That's really incredible. Thank you. You know, I want people to realize. He said, "Tell us a trek that you're going to do. You're going. You're thinking about going down to Vancouver. You were telling me to be off screen." Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I want to ride around the U.S. to raise money for World Bicycle Relief, and so I was meant to. I mean, initially, I want to fly to San Francisco and start from there because I've done my winter bit. You know, I've ridden across Canada in winter, and I'm sick and tired of winter. It's cold. <laughs> It's cold you know? and hard. Yeah. yeah. So, but also it's just because I wanted to go do Texas and all the deserts. I wanted to do them when it's still, you know, when they're still doable. Doable. Yeah, doable. yeah. And then basically, you know, go along the Pacific coast, the Mexican border, 
the Atlantic coast, and then the Canadian, you know, the Canadian border, pretty much to a loop within continental US. I know I'm not doing Alaska and Hawaii and all of that. You know, I'm doing, I'm talking about continental US. And I don't need to do Alaska because I did the parallel in Canada. It's the same thing. And and so it's to raise money for World Bicycle Relief. And, you know, unlike I've been telling some of my fans, who knows, every now and then you might hear of some random parties where I'm spinning. So you have to stay tuned. All right, people. Jabeg, we want to give you a congratulations in 22. Do what you do, brother. Raise Thank that you. money. Keep putting those great mixes on YouTube. You got a lot of, I'll tell you, he's one of the, he's got one of the, he does some of the sexiest mixes I hear from the women. They tell, this is what I hear back from the women. His mixes are so sexy. I'm like, well, then here's my answer, Jabig. Keep making those sexy mixes for YouTube for those women, boy, because they, you got more women than guys following you. <laughs> <laughs> and Jabig, where do they find you? Outside YouTube, is there, can they, can they send comments or anywhere? Cause people have been asking me, you know, is there any way to contact you, send you their music? Cause there's a lot of up and kind producers that watch this show that are inspired by what you said, that you like to get obscure things and things that are fresh and new that maybe others that are not going to jump on. Maybe it's something that you are feeling. Is there a place well, to send this to? Email is the best. Email is the best because email, it's, you know, and then don't send me attachments, you know, send them by WeTransfer. Send me stuff to download because, so it's, my email is very easy. It's very easy to remember. It's jabig at jabig.com. You heard that people, jabig yeah. at jabig, J-A-B-I-G dot com. Very easy, you know, and, and then to, to follow my adventures, what I'm up to, uh, it's, it's on Instagram at jabig on Instagram. And, um, you know, but, um, and I do reply to my messages, by the way, you know, like sometimes people, they write to me and then they get surprised. Like, oh, you replied. I'm like, well, you wrote to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I like your humor. I really like your humor. It's like, but you, you know, wrote to me. What am I supposed yeah. to do? Not answer? Yeah. yeah. The only thing I don't reply to is when people send me a message and say, hi. And then I'm like, okay, this is going to be like a ping pong game and I don't have the time for that. You know, as in, it's okay. State your business, you know, like go straight to the point. You know, time is short. Go to the point. Say what you have to say, and you know, and 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 if you take the time to write to me, I'll take time to reply back. It might not be a long essay, depending where of where I am, or depending what you're asking, you know. But I always reply, and I'm always I'm always interested to know who's listening to my music because, you know, I don't take it for granted. You know, I mean, I'm not I'm not blind to the fact that YouTube can say, you know what, screw Jabig and they delete my channel, and then I go back into the oblivion. You know what I mean? I'm not blind to that. You know. I mean, I have an email list and I have Nextcloud and this and that. I'm not going to completely disappear, but a big presence of mine on none of the, you know. So it's one of those I'm enjoying it while it lasts and trying my very best to stay very humble. Trying. So you answer all your fan mail then? You, you I, I do. I do. But it also gives me something, you know, and this is the funny part. Sometimes when I'm out there riding and I'm tired and I want to, you know, and I, want, and, and I just want to rest, I'm like, oh, okay. And then I just reply to emails. Oh, so, uh, all fun time. Yeah. All right. All right. Jabig, thank you. Don't leave us. I want to say 